listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. Hello and welcome to 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here on Soul to Soul Live. And it's an opportunity, it's a tremendous opportunity to be here. <clears throat> Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the last day or few days of your holiday, school holidays. And I'm a day today, um, trying to do a little more kindness, something of positivity, an act of goodness and kindness for the sake of our country, the sake of humanity, for the sake of our world. Um, we were off for the past few weeks, away on holiday, and now it's great to be back and please God get into a good rhythm all the way leading up to the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, which are just two months away, and all the excitement that that, that comes with it and the the... A bit of nerves, a bit of tension, but mostly positive energy, renewal, and prayer for a better year. Um, so maybe because you might be holidaying or you might be just relaxing today, or if you're at work, hopefully you're not working too hard, let's try to go a bit, um, I don't want to use the word deep, but a bit hectic, um, to a topic that is difficult to confront um, within ourselves, but something that we have to confront, um, if not about others, and at least about ourselves, and that is the complexity of the human being. Most of us like defining people in this world in one word, good or bad. That person's sweet, that person's tough, that person's kind, that person's selfish. And the way we make sense of a world, because this world is a very complicated, unpredictable place, is we we put labels onto people, things, to make sense. So basically, people of a certain background, people that look like me, are usually good. People that are a different background, they look different than me, and very often I'll label them as negative. And a lot of racism and xenophobia and antisemitism... Um, often boils down to that human tendency, human weakness, to separate the world into two. My side and the other side, me and the other. And if you're part of me and each each person decides subjectively who they are, then you fit into my... um, love circle, and I'll have a lot of time a day for you, and I'll defend you, and I'll be loyal to you till death. But if you're not in my circle due to the color of your skin, the race you were born to, the religion you were born to, um, your personality type, the political party you vote for, um, your favorite, I don't know, celebrity, whatever it is, if I don't like it and you're different, I will be against you. It's always boggled my mind um, how often I, as a human being, can be hated just for the mere fact of who I am. And for me, that came the most clear. About 10 years ago, I was in Italy, and I was taking a bus from Milano to Malpensa. And I sit down on the bus by the window, and a young child sits down next to me. And the mother notices right away that I'm Jewish. And she starts screaming at the child um, 
in some language i don't know i don't even remember what but i remember very clearly the the, the something about jew and schlepped the kid out, and there the kid had to stand for the entire hour bus ride. It's quite a bus ride from uh, Milan City to the airport because that five-year-old, six-year-old kid is not allowed to sit next to a Jew. And all I could think about, obviously, uh, I'm not going to say I was terribly hurt and I'm not, I wasn't terribly surprised, but all I could think about is there is a person on this world, and many people, but in that moment there was one person who hates me without knowing me. That that concept still doesn't process well in me. I still struggle with that concept. How there are people in the world, by the mere fact that I'm a Jew, hate me. Then, beyond that, if I started announcing my political affiliation, there would be other people who hate me for my political affiliation. There are other people in the world that hate me for the color of my skin. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if somebody gets to know the other person, someone gets to know me and says, you know what, that guy's not my type. I get it. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't appreciate it and I don't like it, but I, I'm very well accepting of the fact that not everyone's everybody's type. And chances are some of you are listening to this radio show and maybe connecting to it. And some of you are saying, boring, let me shut it off. I'm totally not connecting to this guy's energy. And that's life. Nobody could connect to everybody. But when we hate one another for the mere fact of who that person is not for their choices they made, not even for their personality, not for the way they express themselves, but simply who they are. That is where evil begins. That is how evil happens when we we tend to look at a person no deeper than which party are they, which gender are they, which race are they, which religion are they, which political party they vote for. How pathetic... And yet so many people do it. And many people don't do it so overtly. It's much more subtle. So think of it, uh, you're in a group of people and you're all like-minded. And, you know, you all grew up in the same town. You're all from Joburg. And then this Capetonian shows up and tries to fit in. Or this guy from Port... This guy or girl from Port Elizabeth shows up. And I've heard from many people who emigrated simply from another town in the same country, and often even from a different area into the, a, a, a new area, they'll share how judged they feel just by being them. And by the mere fact that they didn't grow up with the same group of guys and didn't, um, doesn't have the same accent or same life experiences, are not even given a chance. Like, who are you? Why are you joining the conversation? What do you have to offer? We love people that make us feel comfortable. In other words, we love mirrors. We love the people that when we look at them, we feel like we're looking at ourselves. So if that person has a similar background, if that person has similar talents and similar passions and similar looks, then by default, I will give them the benefit of the doubt um, and I will be spending time with them and enjoying their company. But the other person, by the mere fact that they look different and come from a different background, I don't even know anything about them. I will already put them away. I might not hate them, but I will dislike them. I will um, categorize them. But now we're in the three weeks. We're in the three weeks of mourning as we mourn the destruction of the temple, of the holy temples in Jerusalem. One of them destroyed about 1950 years ago, and the other one destroyed about 2,500 years ago. 
And the temples are destroyed. We're told specifically the second temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred, because of sinat chinam, baseless, pointless, empty, cheap hatred. What is that hatred? What is that um, discord that happens between people? It's the hatred that happens when I hate you for no reason other than the fact that you are not me, that you seem as a threat to me, the fact that you have a different color on your skin, the fact that you have a different religion, the fact that you have a different um, political party you care for. By th- that mere fact that you are different than me, I see you as a threat. Now, you'd think that anyone with half a brain or common sense would not fall into this trap. And yet, so many of us do. In some way or another, we feel very uncomfortable with people unlike us. And instead of just saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable, but I have to get over my discomfort and see the humanity in the person across me, we often fall into the trap of just saying that person's different. I feel threatened. When I feel threatened, I put up my guard. When I put up my guard, I become spiteful and cynical. And that is what's going to happen to that person before they even got to open their mouth. And that bias has been studied numerous times. Um, one of the good books about it I remember reading by Gladwell is the book, the book Blink, how just in an instant we already make associations about people and about things without even admitting to ourselves how our bias is. And of course, very few of us can change our instinct. That means maybe instinctively we feel threatened. But the question is, what do we do with that instinct? Do we fight it or do we indulge it? Do we tell ourselves, hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable because this person's different, so therefore I must feel uncomfortable? Or do I tell myself that discomfort is just from a petty, pathetic part within me and I have to overcome it and change and challenge myself to be able to look at the person across me and see their humanity? How can we hate people without knowing anything about them? How is it possible that there are people that are bigots and haters of other people without even knowing anything about them. Just the mere fact that that person's part of a religion or has a certain color of skin or their parent did something at some stage are hated. How can that happen? So what I want to explore over the next 40 minutes after the next, after the song that's coming up is the complexity of, that each and every one of us has, that we are so much more than one word, that we are so much more than an easy definition, that we are so much more than the externals and the definitions that seem to define us. And to be able to look inward and see the complexity within each and every one of us, that very few of us, if any, I would imagine nobody, is easy to define. And nobody is one word. Nobody is a sentence. Nobody is even a paragraph or a chapter. We are all a encyclopedia. We are the most complex beings on the planet. So let's explore that here on 101.9 High FM here on Soul to Soul. And now that it's the three weeks time, we will be playing some a cappella music here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, my name is Rabbi Levi Aftson, and here we're on 101.9 Chai FM, the Fabringen Show, every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. 
We have an SMS line, 34519, email on air at chayfm.com, tweet at chayfm, and our WhatsApp number is 062-148-2374. That's 062-148-2374. And today we're talking about the human being, the complexity of the human being. And the reason that we're talking about it today is because we are in the three weeks of mourning in which we mourn after the destruction of the temple. And the sages teach us something fascinating, and that is that the first temple, the temple built by Solomon, King Shlomo in Israel, was destroyed after over 400 years by the Babylonians. And the reason that the Jewish people were told that it's going to be destroyed is because of tremendous moral decay. We're told that they were suspected of idolatry, adultery, and murder. The three most cardinal sins, the sins that were told a person must rather take their own life or be killed rather than transgress them. That means if somebody was given the option of murdering somebody or saving the, by, and thereby saving their life or taking their own life, they should take their own life rather than murder, and so too with adultery and idolatry, bowing down to an idol. And although those were tremendous sins, we're told that 70 years later, after exile in Babylonia, which eventually moved over to Persia. Persia conquered Babylonia, and that's when the story of Purim happened. After 70 years, they went back and they built the second temple with Ezra and Nehemiah and the sages of the time. And they built a temple which lasted for over 400 years, the second time. But this time, although they made mistakes, we're told that the second destruction was not really about the cardinal sins, but mainly because of Sin Atchinam. Baseless hatred. Hatred between one person and the other. And if you read the story the way it's brought down in the Talmud, um, of just tremendous infighting and self-destruction that happened when tribalism took over the community at the end of the Second Temple era within the Jewish community and thereby led to the destruction. Um, and many people have a custom of reading those stories or discussing them on the day Tisha B'Av, which is two weeks of today, um, when we commemorate the destruction, please God, this year we will be post-Messianic um, age, please God, Mashiach should come in the next two weeks so that we don't have to sit and mourn. But for thousands of years, for 1900 years plus, uh, Jewish people on the ninth of Av sit down and discuss um, the story. And we discuss the details of how infighting destroyed the temple. But what's fascinating is that the first temple, which was destroyed for such tremendous sins as the cardinal sins, the destruction only lasted 70 years. And the destruction of the second temple, which happened for something seemingly so minor, and that is infighting, politics, faribles, and um, grudges, and hatred, it's 1947 years later, and we're still waiting. Please, God, the wait should be over. But that's a long wait, almost 2,000 years. In other words, somehow God managed to forgive the big sins, but the sin of hatred, Hashem doesn't forgive. We have to work it out between ourselves. We're told even on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, God forgives the sins that happen between the human being and their creator, but God cannot forgive the sins that happen between the two of us because it's something that we have to deal with. It's, it's when I was hurt or I hurt somebody else that I have to deal with that person and can ask God to forgive on my behalf because he's I, honestly, he's not part of that party. I, I said something hurtful or did something hurtful to the other human being. I have to um, 
apologize. I can't sit there saying, God, can you work out the issues I have with my mom or my sister or my friend? Um, I have to deal with it myself. And yet it so often happens that we'll destroy unity um, for the dumbest reasons. Often thinking that we're doing God a favor by fighting his fight, but not realizing that the biggest favor we could do to God is stop fighting his fight and actually get along with our fellow human being and find some common ground just to have some decent uh, conversation and respect for one another, even if we disagree with everything they stand for. But how often do we challenge ourselves to overcome our natural bias, our natural tribalism? And whatever reason you believe that we're naturally tribal, whether you buy the story that because originally um, we were growing up in the hundreds and thousands of years ago, we were growing up in small little groups, and by default we have to make sense of the fact that our tribe is different than other tribes. If you buy the evolutionary theory or you just buy the common um, the the perspective that says in each and every one of us there's a animal soul that puts itself up by putting others down and gets a false sense of ego by putting other people on the a lower rung. Whatever the, I, the reason that we are so tempted to judge others so harshly for something so small, the fact is a fact that it's human condition, unless you're a saint or unless you just happen to be born with this most incredible disposition. And we all know people and we might be those people who are just naturally so positive, but they're few and far between. Most of us go onto the road and by default, we're, we're making judgments of the people around us. It's the way we make sense of the world. And it's just the way we pick ourselves up. The way we make ourselves feel good is by putting other people in, down and labeling them without appreciating the tremendous complexity that is in every person. So let's talk about complexity for a few moments. So it was about a few weeks ago, I was in the shops, and I was feeling very good. I was in a good mood. And I decided to let somebody skip me and the till. And I was feeling very good with myself. You know, there was a mom with a few kids. I said, you know, the right thing to do is to let her skip. And... I felt very good. But an hour later, I was driving on the road, and for some reason I was a rush. I don't remember what. And there was somebody trying to pass me on the road, and I didn't let them, and I pushed myself ahead with this little sense of adrenaline, you know, when you try to push yourself ahead in the lane before the person on your left can catch in. And I thought to myself, I said, that same guy who was so sweet an hour ago, couldn't he just save himself a second, lose a second of his time, and allow someone to pass him? How is that same person who was kind an hour ago can be a bit selfish now? And I think if we all look in the mirror, we'll all find that few of us, if any of us, are black and white, black or white. In other words, we are very complex beings. We can be tremendously kind one minute and very vicious the next moment. We can be kind to, to one person and be very condescending to another person. And until we cannot embrace our own complexity, until we cannot embrace the fact that we, yes, me, that person who, who would like to believe is just pure goodness and passion for, for, for acts of goodness and kindness, can have moments of weakness. 
and has acted selfish, condescending, cynical at certain stages of their life, and sometimes within five minutes of the time that they did a tremendous act of generosity, until I cannot embrace that I cannot find and appreciate the complexity in the other, until I don't realize that I, as a human being, are a makeup of so much. I am selfless and selfish. And somehow that fits into the same human being. I am godly and I am extremely vain. I am spiritual and extremely materialistic. At different moments of the day, sometimes one moment can, can shift right into the other. Where one moment I'm so passionate about doing the right thing and the next thing I'm totally getting carried away by a piece of physicality. Until I cannot embrace my own complexity, I will not be able to embrace the complexity in others and I will continue labeling. If I think I'm goodness or I'm bad and I can't either or, then I will tend to look at other people the same way with just one word. That person great, that person terrible, that person sweet, that person impossible. But once I'm able to look at myself and say, I can't label myself that way. I would never label myself in one word or one sentence or one paragraph or even one book. Truth is, very few know ourselves. And you might say that's almost impossible to know yourself because whatever you think you know about yourself, there's so much more to discover. We're like a onion with infinite amount of layers that based on the experiences we have during the day, the people we live with, the the life we choose, the job we have, that's what certain layers come out. But then when we put ourselves in a different scenario, other layers come out and we suddenly discover how complex we are. So if I cannot figure myself out, why do I think I can define you? Why can I make it so easy for myself to just sit there labeling you and saying, you're this, that person's that, that person is my type, that person's not my type. What does that mean? How many of us were felt uncomfortable to embrace a relationship with a certain person only for having one time at some stage being forced to sit across the other person five years, ten years later and actually discovering that we have a lot in common? But for some reason, when we were kids in high school or young adults or whatever, we, we looked at each other and said, nah, there's nothing in common. Or one person thought there wasn't common and tried to embrace the relationship and the other person rejected the relationship because he or she is not my type. That tendency to look at other people and see them as a word or a sentence is one of the greatest dangers of that threat in humanity because... That person's from that religion, I dislike them. That person votes Republican, I dislike them. That person votes um, DA, ANC, whatever, I dislike them. That person listens to that speaker, I dislike them. That person believes X, Y, and Z, I dislike them. That is tremendously dangerous. Because nobody is that simplistic. Nobody is that predictable. Yes, you know, in business, very often, we'll tr- people will try to latch other people into boxes and say, you know what, people of this and this age, I will target, market them in this way, and I'll try to get them this way, and people of this background and that. You know, for target marketing, we often try to box people. But one thing we realize when we get to know people on the ground is there is no human being that's absolutely predictable. You can be sure that based on that background, that person's going to be a total loser and look at the person, a tremendous winner. And that person's going to be a tremendous winner and they unfortunately waste their life. 
And the more you dig into people, the more you discover how there's almost nothing predictable about another person because a human being is the most complex organism that Hashem created on the face of this planet. As, as God went from day one to day two to day three to day four to day five to day six in the creation, it became more complex and more complex. And the final most complex being is the human being. We are extremely complex. And sometimes we look in the mirror and we're like, who am I? Am I that person who was just so nice to a coworker and then so mean to my own child? Am I the person that just tipped generously to the guard um, next to my car in the, in the mall, but then came home and acted a bit aggressive to my spouse? Who am I? Am I kind? Am I not kind? How can I be so kind to my family and so mean to my cousin? How can everybody in business like me, but when it comes to, to, to community, I become so aggressive? Whatever it is, whatever we look at ourselves and we sit there saying, I'm such a paradox. I, the human being, are such a tremendous paradox. There is so much layers within me. There's so much opportunity for goodness, and there's so much goodness. And yet there's so much evil, so much mistakes, so many uh, mishaps, and, and going against my own better judgment. Until I cannot look in the mirror and embrace my own multi-layered complexity, there's no way I'll be able to see it in others. Until I break myself out of the definition that says I'm a good guy or a not good guy. I'm a loser or I'm a winner. I'm cool or I'm totally uncool. Until I can realize that there is so much more to me than that, I can't see it in others. So it's almost the more we make peace with our own complexity, the more we can make peace with the world's complexity. The more I'm at peace with myself, the more... I'm at peace with the world. I was reading a great book by um, an Israeli author, Sari Yocheved Rigler. It's called God Winked. And she quotes a line that she read one time from an Indian philosopher that says, only someone who's at peace with himself can bring peace to the world. But somebody who's not with peace within himself, how can they bring peace to others? And it's so true. It's so true. If I cannot embrace my humanity and realize that I am I don't want to be judged just by my weakest moments I don't want to be judged only by my st strongest moments I want to be judged as a human being I don't want to be overestimated or underestimated so too to the other person just because you saw that person at the weakest moment that doesn't have to become their entire association you don't always have to look at them and say that person selfish and the proof is because one time i was in the mall at the same time with them and i saw them do something very selfish prove they're selfish you know what if somebody saw me at my most selfish moment and defined me that way how much injustice would that be to me we all had those weak moments and we all had those moments that we really hope and pray to god that nobody ever finds out about them because if we are defined by those moments woe to us So instead of looking at some people and saying that person is divine and that person's the devil, there are very few people in this world that are either 100% divine or 100% the devil. 
99.9% of us are somewhere in between, and yes, maybe some of us are 20, 80, or 30, 70, but even then it's so hard to define because can you really say it's a percentage-wise? It's just complex. Each and every one of us battles. We battle every single day against our selfish, narcissistic, self-obsessed self to become a bit better and, and altruistic and kind. And each one of us battles in a way that nobody else can imagine and nobody else has any clue. It's our unique battle and we fight our own darkness. So if we can develop compassion to ourself, we can develop compassion to others. If we can realize how multi-layered we are, we can look at the other human being and say, you know what? I can appreciate that you're not only who you are at your worst moment or you're not only who you are at your best moment. You're just like me. You're a human being. Here on 101.9, Chai FM on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, my name is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Schull, and here we are talking about unity and appreciation of the humanity in our fellow human beings here on the Farbringen show. You could tune in to our show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. And let's move on. There's a great story about somebody who authored a the 10 Rules of Education. He was a great educator in Israel in the 1960s or 70s. I think his name was Rabbi Dov Ben-Nun. And he showed it to various rabbis, and at some stage he showed it to Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he presented to him the 10 Rules, Asarak Lechonuch, the 10 Rules and Generalizations of Education. And the Rebbe looked at him and, you know, he was obviously a profound educator, this Rabbi Ben-Nun, and the Rebbe agreed. And he says, um, these are all profound and insightful and true um, statements of education. But you forgot the 11th statement, the 11th rule of education, and that is that there are no rules in education. There are ideas, there are tips, there are principles, but there's no absolute rules because the human being is so complex that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for other. It might work for majority of people, but it doesn't work for everybody. As we were talking about the past few moments, it's so much easier to make sense of the world in broad strokes. Stroke number one, those people are all this. Stroke number two, those people who vote for this party are all that. It's so easy. It takes so little mental space. It works well with our inner biases and our inner need to make sense of the world. But it is so false. Just because the person looks different than you, Davin's different than you, wears different clothes than you. What does that make them? Less human? One of the fascinating things I always find is I happen to be a rabbi by profession and relatively new in that profession. And sometimes I make the big mistake, I'm talking cynically, of going shopping. Uh, I'm buying clothes or food and almost inevitably I'll bump into a member or somebody that knows I'm a rabbi and they'll turn to me and say, you shop. 
And I'm always, I'm always shocked by that question. Or I'll get to the, 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 the woman will bump into me and then her husband will, will then tell me later that day or a week later, my wife saw you in the shop and she's so impressed slash unimpressed, depending on the person, that you go shopping. And you're like, what did you think? Like, I don't go buy potatoes sometimes. Like, rabbis don't buy potatoes. Rabbis don't know what a potato looks like. <laughs> and is it nice that we put some people on a pedestal? Maybe. It's nice that, you know, it's, it's respectful. But such a pedestal that you're shocked when you see a clergyman in the shop buying potatoes, buying clothes. Like, how do you think he gets clothes that fit him? So it just lands on the door somehow. We often forget the humanity in the other person. We either overestimate them or underestimate them, but we forget that person is human. How many times did it happen that I was in a you know, down mood for whatever reason? And somebody will walk over to me and they'll say, Rabbi, are you upset with me? And I'm like, why would you think so? He says, because you're upset. Well, can it very much be that has nothing to do with you and it's just my own mood? And from there, I learned that somehow rabbis have to be supermen and try to be in a good mood every time they bump into their congregants, which is pretty much every moment of the day or at, 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 at least when they're not at home. But even at home, you have to be in a good mood because you want your kids to enjoy your company. So pretty much somehow you have to overcome your natural tendency of down times and up times and just be happy-go-lucky because that's what people want you to be. Is that a fair expectation? I don't know. But um, the guidance I got from senior rabbis is, yes, that's what you have to do. You always have to be in a good mood when you bump into people. And I struggle with that concept because we're all human beings and we all have moments and we're all complex. And we all have tension in our life and fears. And yes, some of us choose more spiritual professions, but at the core, we're all human. And sometimes we have to have crazy stories where people we respect act so beneath our expectation that we suddenly realize, oh, they're human. They're human. And the same thing on the other extreme where we have people that we so we expect nothing out of them. That sister-in-law who, I don't know, since day one we decided she's a snob and self-centered and suddenly we find out, that she volunteered in the organization. And we're like, no, that person doesn't volunteer. There must be an agenda. I know that person. They are so self-centered. They are so self-obsessed. It cannot be that that person has any kindness or altruism inside of them, only to discover, yes, they do. We have to stop overestimating people and underestimating people and realize that even in that person that we think is a monster, there is goodness. And even in that person that we think is a saint, there are struggles and there are moments that they fail. We're told, the sages teach us, there is nobody in this world who does not make mistakes. Maybe some people's mistakes are a different level um, and their mistakes we would consider, you know, acts of righteousness. That's a mistake. Well, each person in their own struggle. For one person, I remember hearing a rabbi, you know, pointing it out. He says, for one person who's a serial killer... Um, and they control themselves once from killing or they control themselves once from torturing, that is a little tiny wacko act of kindness versus the other person who's a saint. And for them, going kindness is not just being generous, but being beyond generous and doing even more. Instead of giving a $100,000 donation, they're giving 110000 which is beyond what they expected to give. Whatever it is, each in our own world, in our own milieu, we struggle. Nobody out there is an outside of struggle. 
And there's a great statement from the sages that says, That whoever is greater than their friend, you can be guaranteed that their temptation, their Yetzirah, their evil, is also greater. Because God always creates an even playing field. So if you see somebody who you think is so pious, you can be guaranteed that that person is is struggling with an animal inside of them that we cannot even imagine. Because if they were able to achieve such greatness, you can be sure that it was only through tremendous struggle, and they still struggle. And the struggle never stops. You might look at the other person and think, oh, that person doesn't know what I struggle with. That person has no idea about the temptation I have. Really? What do you know? What do I know? We have no idea. And if each person would share their struggle, and I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but if we were vulnerable and shared our struggles, we would discover that that person who we think just cruises through life, because life's decisions are so simple for them, battles every single day, and maybe in the last hour made one of the biggest mistakes of their life and still they're bouncing back. But none of us, none of us should ever for a moment think that we are infallible. And none of us should think that we are absolute darkness. There's very few, if any people, that are absolute white or absolute dark. We all struggle. That is the human condition. That is the way Hashem designed us. That struggle doesn't get easier. It maybe becomes different at different stages of our life. Maybe at one stage of our life we're trying to overcome temptation and the other stage of our life we're trying to overcome our obsession with honor and, and dignity. Whatever it is, we are always going to struggle with something within us. And so is the other person. So don't look at the other person in simplistic eyes because they are as complex as you. No human being was created as a simplistic organism. We are all complex beings. That's the beauty of the human being and the danger. That's what makes the human being the greatest gift that the world was given and the greatest curse that the world was given. Because the human being can be the greatest gift and uplift this world or can take this very world and destroy it. We can be saints or we can be absolute destroyers. And sometimes within the same day. How's that for a complex thought? Hi, Rabbi. Is this show available as a podcast? Amazing. Julia. Julia, it will be, please God, available as a podcast. You go to chayfm.com and then you'll search in the podcast sections and please God, it will be there. Thank you for your feedback. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. Gold is a great investment, and here at High FM, you could win a quarter gold Kruger Rand to the value of four and a half thousand Rand, courtesy of Gold Capital. If you correctly give the value of an 1898 minted Kruger Rand pond, if you think you know the value, email admin at goldcapital.co.za with your answer. Here's a hint: the value is between fifty thousand and two hundred thousand Rand. Gosh, that will get you far. You can enter as many times as you'd like to do it now. The answer nearest to the exact value of the 1898 Kruger Pond will win the quarter Kruger Rand. Good luck. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Aftson here on Soul to Soul, the Fabrengen Show, and we're wrapping up the show. Um, thank you, Tabo, and thank you, uh, Chai FM, for the opportunity. And just want to leave you with the following thought. When the rabbi said, Don't judge your friend until you're standing in their place. I don't know where the source is until you stand in their shoes, but until you stand in their place, until you know their scenario, 
They were saying an absolute truism, and that is nobody knows anybody else. I don't care how many hours you've spent trying to analyze Donald Trump. You are not Donald Trump, and you don't know him. <laughs> and no matter how many hours you try to analyze Zuma or your favorite celebrity or your favorite soccer player, you don't know them. You maybe know one layer of them, or maybe even that is false. So instead of spending all our day trying to understand others, which will never happen, let's spend a little more time helping others. And if you're already analyzing, try to analyze yourself. Not that that's a great thing. Maybe we shouldn't be analyzing anybody. But if we're analyzing somebody, it should be looking inward and saying, gosh, I'm not as bad as I think I am. Or I'm not as great as I think I am. I'm somewhere in between. And I'm struggling. And the second I start thinking I'm infallible, boy, does life remind me that I, Mr. Saint, can make a lot of mistakes. And the second I, a person thinks, gosh, I'm so likable, we discover that there's a person who dislikes us. And we're like, <gasps> I'm disliked? How is that possible? Yeah, there's some people that dislike us for good reason or for no good reason. And the moment we can just accept our inner complexity and how we are still deserving of love even though we have moments of weakness and that we really pray that people don't only judge us at our weakest moment because it's so easy to do. And we see it, especially in the shaming culture on the internet, where we find one thing a person said which is stupid and foolish, and we punish them, and we broadcast it. Do you believe that that person said that? You know, once upon a time, we were entitled to have dark thoughts once in a while, and make mistakes, and say silly things, and then apologize and learn. Today, if at 15 you said the wrong thing because you were in a weak moment, or because, yes, many 15-year-olds are biased and uh, xenophobic, and we cannot learn from our mistakes, we will punish that person, we will shame that person into making, not into fixing themselves up, into destroying them. But if we looked at ourselves and we said, we also had those moments. Yes, we all had weak moments. That doesn't justify it. It just uh, accepts the fact that we are all human beings and we have to learn from our mistakes. There is nobody who's born ready-made. There's no 10-year-old who has no biases and no hatred. They might have been inculcated by their parents or by scenarios that happened to them, etc. But we all have those biases and we have to overcome them. And before we sit there running and shaming others, before we sit there saying, ha, I discovered that that person who everyone thinks is great is not great. I caught them doing something wrong. We all made mistakes. And we don't want to be judged by our weakest moments. And the truth is, we don't even want to be judged by our best moments. Because then people set an expectation of us. Oh, gosh, you must be so dynamic. You don't struggle with what I struggle. I remember when I was younger and I used to look at, read articles by people who wrote these beautiful articles about peace and love and marital bliss and imagine their life to be incredible. And then at some stage in life, I became somewhat of a writer and I started writing articles. And sometimes those articles, if I can toot my horn a bit, were quite profound. And then I saw people looking at me expecting me to live a certain life based on articles I wrote. And then I realized that all the writers I read previously or the speakers I listened to are as human as I am. So do yourself a favor. Before you put people on a pedestal or you, before you knock them down the ladder and you say that they're pure dirt, remember, they're as human as you. And if there's one way we can bring peace to our world in the three weeks that we're mourning the destruction of temple due to disunity is to look and say, we're all human. And we all deserve forgiveness and love and compassion and the opportunity to change. On that thought, 
want to wish you a great afternoon, a great week. Please, God, we'll be back here next week, Tuesday on 101.9 High FM at 1 o'clock on the Fred Ringen Show. My name is Robbie Levy-Aftson. Gosh, I'm forgetting my own name. I guess that's also complex. Have a great week. Wishing you all the best. Thank you.